John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whether I go, ye, whether I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whether thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long a time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believe thou not I am the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doth the works. Believe me, that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very word's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth in on me the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If ye love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give to you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world see me no more. But ye see me, because I live, yea, shall live also. And the day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that keepeth, he that hath my commandments, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved by of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. Judith saith unto him, Not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us, and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and he will come unto him, and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which we hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Ye have heard now, I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye love me, ye would rejoice, because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass that, when it is come to pass, ye shall believe. 
Herewith after I will not talk much with you, for the prince of the world cometh and hath nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do arise, let us go hence. Good morning. What we have before us open in the Word today may be some very good news. In fact, I hope it's good news for you as you come here today. What we're going to read about today and look at today, we're going to read about some truth for the troubled soul. We're going to find out that Jesus is the way. Jesus is speaking with his disciples in the upper room just hours before the cross. In the series that we're currently in the midst of, John 13 through 17, it's dealing with the heart of Christ before the cross. What is it he's communicating to his disciples beforehand? What does he want them to understand? What is important to Jesus before he leaves this earth? What does he spend time talking about? Things that are yet to come. And that in itself, I believe, is instructive for those following Jesus today. What is it that fills your conversation with others? Is it primarily rooted in this world or in what's yet to come? Is is your speech grounded solely in things of the world and cares of this life? Or is there a hint in your speech of better things to come? Do you speak often of your heavenly home? Do you tend to speak of eternal matters or shy away from them? Christ is speaking of things that matter. He's leaving. And these are his parting words to his followers. And so let's ask of the Lord to hear what Jesus says, to see with understanding that we might apply these truths and live them in the present tense while we wait for the Savior yet to come. John 13, as we read last week, those first three verses in particular, sets the context for where we're going in the next few weeks. And in that upper room, Jesus displays a picture of servanthood. Remember, he took up the towel and basin, and he washed the feet of his disciples. And that picture is a prelude to what was to come at Calvary, where Jesus would literally lay down his life. And this act of of washing their feet is an example, Jesus says, of the kind of life they too were called to live after his departure. They were to live as servants of one another. And in doing so, John 13, 35, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Peter asks a question In verse 36 of chapter 13. It's interesting that he asks the question right there. 
And really that question serves as the catalyst for where chapter 14 goes. You see, after speaking of loving one another, Jesus says, a new commandment I give you. Peter goes back to something that Jesus says in verse 33. Jesus in verse 33 says, Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you. And then Jesus talks about a new commandment. Love one another, right? You would think Peter's comment would have something to do with love. What Jesus just talked about. But Peter's stuck on something Jesus said back in 33. And and notice what he says there in 36. Lord... Where are you going? In fact, as we consider the question of Peter, it's important perhaps to to look at this this portion of text and see that there are four questions in this section of text. The first two come from Peter right here at the end of chapter 13. Lord, where are you going? Verse 37, Lord, why can I not follow you now? And then chapter 14, verse 5, Thomas... Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? And then at the end of chapter 14, we see Judas, not Iscariot, ask, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? You see, these are very important questions to the disciples. There's also one request, one plea, and that of Philip in chapter 14, verse 8. Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient. I'd like to begin by just reading chapter 13, 36 to 38. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. He loved Peter. Loved his desire. His heart. Jesus says in 38, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, most assuredly. In other words, you can put You can put this down, Peter. (laughs) Here's the hard truth, Peter. Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. And then we read these words. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me more literal rendering there at the beginning of chapter 14. Do not go on being troubled at heart. Do not go on being troubled at heart. You see, they were. The reality was, they were troubled at heart. And Jesus is saying, do not go on this way. So then we need to ask the question as we look at the context. What is going on that would lead the disciples to be troubled at heart? Well, a few weeks back, we we spent some time looking at Mark chapter 8, 9, and 10, didn't we? And we looked at chapters 8, 9, and 10 to point out that on three different occasions, in fact, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of those gospel writers, 
give three different occasions in which Jesus tells his disciples he's leaving. I'm about to suffer many things. I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles. They're going to mock, kill. But three days later, I'm going to be raised. See, that three, three different times, three different occasions, those three gospel writers give us that information. But even here in chapter 13 of John, as we think about and consider why the disciples are troubled at heart, if you look back at chapter 13, verse 21, he's talked about his betrayer, Judas, Judas Iscariot. We see that chapter 13, 21, most assuredly I say to you, one of you will betray me. In the process of sharing those words, the text tells us as well in verse 21, it says when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit. Jesus. You see, before this time, Jesus had been with his disciples and his disciples had just, you know, they followed, they'd seen Jesus do all these wonderful things. Things were going great. But now, they're noticing that Jesus himself is troubled in spirit. They're hearing this news about one of the twelve is, is going to betray him. Chapter 13, verse 33, he, he says that where he's going, you cannot come. No doubt that would have been puzzling to the disciples. And then at the end of chapter 13, we see Jesus say these words to Peter another of Jesus' own, that he's going to deny him three times in just a short period before the rooster crows, just a few hours. Someone's going to betray him. Someone's going to deny him. Jesus is troubled in spirit. He's talking about death. What is going on here? You see, things are not what they once were. All this talk about their master leaving and dying. Now, these guys who are following him. Jesus says one's going to betray him and another is about to deny him. And on top of that, Jesus himself is troubled in spirit. You see, this is the context for the words of Jesus in John 14, verse 1. Uncertainty. Speculation. Questions. Doubt. Hesitation, insecurity. The disciples have been walking with Jesus, and now they find they are going to be walking without Jesus. He's not going to be there. And yet, Jesus, later in this same chapter, tells them that he will not leave them as orphans, verse 18. If he's going, how is it that he's still going to be present with them? Great question. It's a great question. You see, you and I are looking at it from a different side, aren't we? <laughs> have you ever considered what it would have been like to hear these words? Before Jesus goes to the cross, before his resurrection, before his ascension, before the Holy Spirit comes... 
this period of uncertainty in the life of the disciples does not go unnoticed by Jesus. Praise the Lord. You see, he addresses their heart and calls them to stop being troubled at heart. The reality is this. They were troubled at heart. And so Jesus, recognizing this, he tells them to stop with this way of living. But notice, he gives good reason for doing so. He says in chapter 14, You believe in God, believe also in me. Guys, trust me. (laughs) Trust that what I am saying is true. Trust that what I've told you will come to pass. Trust me for the solution to your troubled heart. You're here today. Perhaps you are troubled in spirit. You're troubled over your situation. Your circumstances aren't what you pictured them to be. As you assess your life at this moment, you're standing in a place of uncertainty. Wondering. Not too much unlike the disciples. What's going on here? Maybe you're out of a job. Maybe you're on the brink of losing your job. Maybe your finances have hit rock bottom. Maybe the love you once had for your spouse is being neglected and you sit here today not happy about your marriage. Maybe your son or daughter is drifting away from the Lord and you're wondering how such a thing could happen to you. Maybe you're in the midst of losing a loved one. And you're trying to figure out how life goes on at this point. You see, the words of Jesus are instructive to you as well. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Trust me for whatever you're going through. Trust me that I have all authority. Trust me that I know all about you. Trust me and know that I will never leave you or forsake you as a child of mine. The solution to uncertainty, the key to a troubled heart, is believing in Jesus. Jesus is the only one who cures a troubled heart. He's the only one who transforms your old heart and provides a new heart. Troubled hearts abound today. They're everywhere, aren't they? You see them. You look around, it's easy to notice a troubled heart. People are running after all kinds of solutions to their troubled hearts. And it's fruitless, unprofitable, it's this perpetual dead-end pursuit. You see, if, if Jesus isn't the solution to your troubled heart, then you're like the man who wanders from the way of understanding. The proverb writer says this in chapter 21, verse 16. A man who wanders from the way of understanding will rest in the assembly of the dead. 
the way of understanding. The only way of understanding is through Jesus, church. Believe in Jesus, confess Jesus with your mouth, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, and the scripture says you will be saved, Romans 10, verse 9. Believe in Jesus, not your own works of righteousness. You see, believing in Jesus calms the troubled heart. Believing in Jesus manifests itself in the peace that only he can give. And he says that later in the chapter in John 14. Are you uncertain about the situation you face? Rest in the way of understanding. Trust Jesus to do what he said he will do. Remember Romans chapter 4, Abraham being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Faith, walking by faith, not simply walking by what we see. See, here in John 14, Jesus essentially is saying here, let me tell you why you can trust me. Listen carefully to what I'm about to say. Look at verses 2 through 4. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Praise the Lord for that. And receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know. And the way, you know. Now, the Father's house, he says, my Father's house. If we flip backwards in the, in the book of John, turn to chapter 2 for just a moment. You might remember the story when Jesus makes his whip. Remember that? And he starts, we see an expression of Christ's anger in the temple in Jerusalem. Listen to this. He poured out the changer's money. And then verse 16. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Here in John chapter 2, my father's house is representative of the temple in Jerusalem. In John 14, 2, though, my father's house is representative of where Jesus is about to go. Remember, Peter has already posed the question, Lord, where are you going? Jesus is about to go to his father's house. And this house is made up of many mansions, dwellings, we would probably associate it with rooms, abiding places. And in case you're wondering how Jesus would know about this place, John 13, verse 3, gives us a clue. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, here it is, and that he had come from God and was going to God, or, or we can even flip, fast forward, to chapter 16, 28, Jesus says, I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. So the Father's house 
has many dwellings. That's, that's good to know, isn't it? It's good to know. Father's house has many dwellings. To also know that these words, it's good to know these words come from a reliable source. Amen? From one who's been with the Father prior to coming down here to earth. But Jesus then tells his disciples that he's going to his Father's house to prepare a place, here it is, for you. Now, what is involved in Jesus making preparations? We're not told directly here. The emphasis, as it relates to the immediate context, though, would be upon for you. (laughs) You see, the troubled hearts that surrounded Jesus were wondering where he was going. They didn't like the idea of Jesus leaving. They didn't relish the thought of their master being absent. All this suffering and death talk didn't add up. But to hear Jesus speak of preparing a place for them, that would have been the word of comfort needed at this time. This would have been encouraging, no doubt, to hear (coughs) that his departure included plans for them. His leaving had something to do. He was preparing something for them. Look at verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I think about how this might have landed upon the disciples. Think, think about what you know to be true about Jesus coming again. It, it, there is some mystery in it all, isn't there? About his coming again. You know, the, the, the epistles give us some picture of what that might be like. The book of Revelation speaks to this in part. And, and yet there's still some mystery surrounding Jesus coming back again. So he's going to the Father's house. And his house has many dwellings. And while he's there, he's going to prepare a place for his disciples. In doing so, then, Jesus says that he will come again. He's coming back. But for what purpose? Why the return visit? He says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. You know, I got to thinking about this, that when, when people oftentimes talk about heaven, one of the things that they're quick to talk about and ask, am I going to see my loved ones in heaven? You ever heard that question? Huh? Maybe you've asked it yourself. Is Aunt Ruthie going to be there? Am I going to see her? The testimony of Scripture, I believe, is that you will recognize other Christians in heaven. A, a few passages, a few examples. Uh, you might be, remember the transfiguration and how when they were with Jesus... The disciples, who did they recognize? Moses, <coughs> Elijah, okay? Or, or you might remember the faith of the centurion. Jesus says in Matthew eight eleven, he says, I say to you that many will come from east and the west and sit down with whom? Abraham, Isaac, 
and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Or you might remember the story Jesus told of Lazarus and the rich man. And that rich man is able to recognize Abraham and Lazarus. And while all that's good news and brings a comfort to us, that's good news. I believe John 14 is pointing out a priority here. I I love this. I love what he says right here in, in this text. The Father's house is where Jesus prepares a place for you. He's going to come back and receive you to himself. So the reunion with family and friends who are in Christ will no doubt be wonderful. But the reunion with Jesus is the main attraction. Amen? That's the main attraction. He's coming back to receive you to himself. Think about that for just a moment. He's receiving you to himself, that where he is, where is he? The Father's house. There you may be also. So, you get to the Father's house by way of Jesus. He receives you unto himself that you might be with him where he is. The text doesn't hold out other options of getting to the Father's house. Jesus then says in verse 4, And where I go, you know. And the way, you know. (laughs) I love it. Because they don't get it. And you know what? They're not the only ones who don't get it. This sets up the question in verse 5 from Thomas. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. Remember, Peter has just asked this, Lord, where are you going? Thomas now, We do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? So speaking, it seems, on behalf of the disciples, we see the we. Thomas makes a statement of fact, and then follows that with a question. Statement, we do not know where you're going. Question, how can we know the way? What follows is... One of the most exclusive statements in all scripture about who Jesus is and how one gets to God the Father. This is a dangerous verse. This this is not a verse to take lightly. There's great meaning and implication behind this verse. John 14, 6 is oftentimes quoted as one of the I am statements in the Gospel of John, right? John 6, 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. 
John 10, verse 9, Jesus says, I am the door. John 10, verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. John eleven twenty five, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Right here in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And one chapter later in chapter 15, verse 5, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Each of these statements speaks of Christ and his identity as the Son of God. John 14, 6, though, seems to especially rub people the wrong way. You see, people oftentimes don't get upset about Christ's claim to be the bread of life. Not too many object to Jesus being the vine. Many are okay with him being the light of the world. But bring up John 14, 6, and you've ignited a flame. You've struck a match. Surely Jesus can't be the only way. This is a dangerous verse. A couple years ago, I visited a young man at the request of his mother, neighbor. He was in the hospital. He was dying. Kidney failure. Alcohol. I went to the hospital. Sat in there, had conversation, never never really had conversation with this young man before I'd seen him but not really had any extended conversation with him, not really had any conversation about eternal matters. And so we're in the hospital and we're talking. And Lord helped to orchestrate conversation toward things that matter most. You ever thought about what it might be like if you should die and what might happen? At the conclusion of that. He gave me a picture that I've never forgotten. He went on to talk about how heaven to him. He likened it to a wheel. A wheel. Think about your bike at home, young people. And on that wheel, there are a lot of spokes, right, that come meet in the middle. And he said, I I liken heaven to be like that wheel. There are all these different spokes, and they all point to the middle. They all get there. I remember thinking how sad that someone actually believed this. That, That Jesus is just one way to get to heaven. See, you you preach this text and you could begin to lose congregants. You preach this text, you might lose some good tithers. Perhaps this may be one reason why John 14, 6 is not preached in context. 
You see the statement and the question in verse 5. Jesus has something to say about it. Here's what he says. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, let's stop right there for just a moment. You see, the issue at hand is the disciples' lack of knowledge of where he's going. Thomas said they didn't know where he was going. And so, not knowing where Jesus was going, Thomas asked a logical question. How then can we know the way? You see, if you don't know the light, if you don't know the truth, if you don't know the way, you're going to just grope about in darkness. That's why Jesus in John's gospel says, the light's only going to be here for a little while longer. Believe. And his call, especially in this book, is that they might believe. And that believing you might have life in his name. That's what the end of John's gospel says. Jesus immediately provides the way. He says, I am the way. Not I know the way. Not I have a secret code. And if you ask real nicely, I'll give it to you. No, no. I am the way. You want to know the way? I'm the way, Jesus says. And that seems to be the central focus of Jesus' claim in John 14, 6. In light of Thomas's question in verse 5, the way to where I am going is through me, Jesus says. Look how he concludes verse 6. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus shares the way, I am the way. And he also provides the destination of where he's going, to the Father. So the first part of verse 6 speaks to the way, and the second part of verse 6 addresses the destination, to the Father. There's no way to the destination unless Jesus is the way. (laughs) In fact, one writer says, to go in any other way is to embark upon a road that has no exits and no destination. I was reminded of my time years ago in in D.C., and I, I remember... Uh, vaguely the the subway system and the and, and the colors right there's a there's a line a green or a red or blue and you get on a certain color and that takes you to a certain place you know if you want to go a certain destination you got to get on the right train to get you there think about that and apply that to getting to the Father's house. You know, when you speak about heaven and how you get there, it seems like answers abound. That spokes-on-the-wheel idea may very well represent a good number of people, people who adhere to many ways to heaven. The Bible does not teach this, church. doesn't teach that. What it does teach is very clear and very specific. The way to the Father's house is Jesus. Only Jesus. No other subway takes you to the Father's house but Jesus. Try another way and you don't arrive at your destination. This is a hard truth for many 
to receive. And let me just side note. I believe for those who are in Christ, this is a hard truth to communicate. Why? Because you want to please people. We see it, chapter chapter 12. There were many rulers who believed Jesus. That's what the text says. But for fear of the Pharisees, they never confessed him. They kept their mouth closed. Do we really believe this? Do we believe John 14, 6 to be true? But it is a hard truth for many to receive. You see, because it doesn't seem fair, perhaps. It it lacks, uh, here's the word, it lacks tolerance. Huh? It lacks tolerance for what other people believe. Here's what I say about that. Let God be true and every man a liar. But God is loving of all people. Well, God is also just. And he's easily angered at man's rebellious heart. And and judgment awaits those who prefer to don their own righteousness and are content with their own righteousness, their own works. So is Jesus the only way to the Father or not? Is this the message you communicate in love to others? Is this not the word of God? Whose word are you going to take in the end? The text does not say Jesus is a way, that he is a source of truth and a way to life. Jesus makes the claim that he is the way, the truth, and the life. You want to know the way to the Father's house? Jesus is the way. You want to know the truth that will set you free? John speak, he speaks to us in John chapter 8. Truth that sets you free. Jesus is that truth. And I'm reminded when I, when I even say that, I'm just reminded of that scene where Jesus is before Pilate and he's talking, about, talking to Pilate. And don't you know I have the power to crucify you? And Jesus says, you've been given that, Pilate. And you remember the question Pilate asked? What is truth? Jesus says, all those who are on the side of truth hear my voice. And Pilate says, what is truth? And he failed to see the truth was standing right in front of him. You want life everlasting? That only comes through Jesus. Remember, church, where he's about to go. Context. Remember where he's about to go. The cross is a few hours away. The way to the Father... The way to the Father is through Jesus by way of the cross. And that is significant. That is significant. Because Jesus is the only one capable of atoning for your sin. 
Any other man would have failed miserably, but Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, John 1, 29, was about to take away the sin of the world. 2 Corinthians 5, a familiar passage. For God made him who had no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Hebrews 9, 27, 28. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, to the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time. He's coming back. And we know from John 14, he's coming back to receive us to himself. That he's the main attraction for which we await and long for. See, Jesus is the way. And the way of Jesus included a cross. At the cross, on his way to the Father's house, he paid for your sins in his own flesh so that you might become the righteousness of God in him. The key there is in him. We talked about that union with Christ a few weeks ago. You can't believe in Jesus and then drag along all your other gods as though they're necessary as well to get to the Father's house. The key to the Father's house is opened only by Jesus through the cross upon which Jesus died. And Jesus goes on in verse 7. If you had known me... Think about that for just a moment. Philip and company had been with him for some two and a half years, three years. And Jesus says, if you had known me, If you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on you know him and have seen him. Have seen him. Philip picks up on what Jesus has just spoken. Look what he says in verse 8. Lord, show us the father and it is sufficient for us. (laughs) Oh, Speaking... Once again, it seems on behalf of the group, show us. Philip, this time, requests a viewing of the Father. One writer says, he says, notice that Philip had asked to be shown the Father. That word shown, verb, which in effect it calls for a demonstration. Jesus replied that what was needed was not so much a demonstration as an apprehension. It is not seeing but a perceiving that is important. He goes on and says this, instead of granting the request or even attempting to explain why Philip's desire was unwise or impossible, Jesus began to teach what it really means to see God. And how to see him. The point with which he began was the limitation of the kind of seeing Philip had in mind. Obviously, the kind of seeing that Philip had in mind does not lead to a true knowledge of anyone. (laughs) And, And you might recall at the end of John's gospel, when Peter and John, remember they have the race? I love that passage. They're running to the tomb. Who wins? Anybody remember? Who wins? John wins. John gets to the tomb, okay? So he gets to the tomb, and the text says that he peeked in, 
And he observed, he saw the linen cloths lying there. And then Peter comes, and like Peter, he kind of moves John out of the way. He goes in, and he goes up to those linen cloths. And the text says that he too saw the linen cloths. Different word, though. It's a seeing from the perspective of puzzling or theorizing or wondering. He's seeing it, but he's wondering how it could be because Jesus isn't there. And then in that same passage, there's a third word. Well, John goes into the tomb at that point. And the text then says that John saw and believed. Well, that word for see has in mind seeing with understanding. And you see, it's that seeing with understanding that leads one to believe. And in that moment, John did believe. We see in John's gospel. It tells us that very thing. And it's that very seeing, the kind of seeing being described by Jesus in John 14. It's that seeing with understanding. It's seeing with understanding. You see, the Gospels are filled with accounts where the people saw miracles being performed by Jesus, did they not? There were many occasions where Jesus performed mighty miracles. People saw them. They observed them with their eyes. But yet they did not believe. They followed him, but only to get bread to fill their hungry bellies. Remember that? John chapter 6. They didn't yet see who Jesus was. They, they missed that he was the Son of God. And that's John's gospel. He's pointing out his identification. This is who I am, the only begotten of the Son. John 12, 44 and 45, look at those verses. Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me, sees him who sent me. See, even his own disciples were missing this. John 14, 9, Jesus said, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? You might recall in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, the writer here speaks of Jesus, who being the brightness of God's glory and the exact or the express Image, the icon of his person. Or John 1.18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. He, the actual rendering I love and I need to share it with you. When it says he has declared, he is actually, uh, in, in grammar speak, it's a demonstrative pronoun. He. That's how it gets translated in English text. But really we could say, this one. This one. And that's pretty important as we're talking about Jesus as the way. Because John right here in John 1.18 is talking about he, Jesus. This one has declared. This one has told. This one's reported. This one's revealed. This one has explained God. This one who has come to dwell among men. Jesus isn't done. Look where he goes in 10 and 11. 
Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak of my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. In other words, do, do you not see that this God who so loved the world gave his only begotten son, that's me, Jesus said, that's me. That whoever believes in him, that's me, should not perish but have everlasting life. See, I am the way to the Father. Long before the world came to be, I was with the Father, John chapter 1, 1 through 3. Or remember John? John came, John the Baptist, he came to bear witness to the light. That's me. That's me. He came to bear witness to that light that all might believe, John 1, 7 says. That all might believe. Look at the end of John chapter 12, 49 and 50. Jesus says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. You know what I find interesting about this? And you see that connection between Jesus and the Father. And you read John 14, 15, 16, 17, and you see also the connection that's there with the Holy Spirit. Because you see, in just a few short hours, Jesus is going to be leaving. But that connection is still going to be there. In fact, at the end of chapter 14, we see that he's going to come, right? He's going to come and make, he says, we will come to him and make our home with him. How's that going to happen? What's that look like? That's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. What's he going to do? He's going to reveal to you the very words of Christ himself. He's going to help you recall all things that Christ has spoken. That's one of the wonderful ministries of the Holy Spirit. Church, by the looks of things, believing the Jesus described in this book, believing Jesus, the the Son of God, believing that Jesus is in the Father, the express image of the person of God, believing that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, This kind of believing puts you at odds with the world. (laughs) If you believe this way. Now, if you believe this way and and give a hug or embrace other things of the world, other ways, the world's going to love you. In fact, John 15, he says that very thing. But they're going to hate you if you believe this way. John 14, 6 kind of way. In fact, that text there in John 12, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Verse 43, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. The troubled hearts of those following Jesus, they were hearing the solution 
Jesus was about to leave. He was going to the Father's house, but he was making preparations for his own that he might come back and receive them to himself, that they too could be where he was. And in the meantime, until such a time, Jesus calls his followers to believe in him. I was reminded of the words in John 3.36. It says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. You think John 14.6 doesn't settle well? John 3.36 doesn't settle well either. No one wants to talk about the wrath of God abiding on them. But yet, is that not the testimony of the Scripture? Apart from believing in the Son, you have no life, and the wrath of God abides on you. Church, do not exchange the truth of God for a lie. Do not buy the world's goods and forfeit the everlasting prize of Christ Do not pursue the facade of of, of pleasure and and fame and fortune and games and gadgetry and all this stuff. You know, I've been reminded of that so much lately because we've gotten rid of a lot of stuff. And I told my wife the other day, I said, you know what? I am so glad we've gotten rid of this stuff. I love this. I love this. Clutter. Stuff that you, you don't need. I bet I've taken 25 to 30 bags of stuff out of our house. And we still have stuff. Flee from the wrath to come. Run to Jesus. The proverb writer has it correct. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it in our what? safe you see because he's the only way Jesus truly is the answer for the world today and, and, and you know as I, as I think about a conclusion here one, one of the, the thoughts is how, how do we take John 14 6 Jesus is the way the truth the life how, as we consider that as we embrace that to be true How then do we live that? See, that must be lived. It's not enough to say, I agree with it. Amen. You know, I was leaving this morning, as, as I typically do, I, I usually get out for, for a little bit in the morning, early, to just go through things and have some time, preparation. I left the coffee shop this morning, and there was a, there was a gentleman sitting there, a gentleman that I've come to know. He, uh, he's actually a, a coach a basketball coach, a well-known basketball coach. But he comes in there fairly regularly. And he's sitting in there, he's doing his crosswords, and sometimes he'll bring his dog. He sits in there. I've kind of enjoyed my conversations with him. It had been several weeks since he'd been in there. And so I was leaving this morning, and I started to walk out, and I saw him sitting there. I said, hey, coach. We got to talking. And when I found out why he hadn't been there, he'd been sick. 
been going through some chemotherapy. And the Lord just impressed upon me in light of John 14. If Jesus is the only way, and we have a troubled spirit here, we have a troubled heart, perhaps. It's best that I speak. I said, would it be all right if I prayed with you? Absolutely. So I sat down right there in the coffee shop, and we prayed. And the words that came out, while I can't remember exact word for word, had a lot to do with Jesus being the only way. Had a lot to do not only with his life and and concerns maybe that he's going through right now. My heart went out to him not knowing for sure where he was at in relationship with Jesus. You see, because I wanted him to know that there's a solution to his troubled heart. His name is Jesus. And I would want you, church, to know that there's a solution. There's a solution for the troubled soul. We need to make sure that we put forth the truth to the troubled soul that we encounter this week. That if we believe that Jesus truly is the way to the Father, that we will then, together as a body, not a bunch of isolated individuals, but as a body, we will walk and keep in step. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk and keep in step with the Spirit. And we will proclaim freely, unashamedly, the truth of Jesus Christ. For Jesus, church, truly is the only way. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. Grateful, Lord, this morning for your word, the power of your word. How relevant your word is for us right here, right now, today, in the year 2012. We're so far removed from the time that we're reading about here in John chapter 14. But Lord, the time that you're pointing to, we're still, we're still a part of that. We're still waiting, eagerly waiting that Savior to come. We're still waiting that second visit. And Father, now we're on the other side of the cross and, and, and the Holy Spirit has come and Holy Spirit now is indwelling those who believe, those who have received Jesus to be their Lord and Master, Savior. Oh, Father, we thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that he is the spirit of truth, that he is our guide, that he is our teacher, our greatest teacher available to us, that he points us always to the very words of Jesus, that the Spirit himself does not speak on his own authority, but he only speaks that which is given to him by the Father, Christ himself. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for that ministry. Thank you that your Spirit dwells within us forever. Father, that's good news. I pray that that, knowing that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, I pray, Lord, that this passage of text would be a breath of fresh air to the troubled heart that may be here this morning. Father, I stand up here today realizing that there are, recognizing that there are troubled hearts. 
Oh, Father, let's not pretend otherwise. Uh, Father, I pray that we would be real with one another. In just a moment, we're going to have a time to be able to pray for one another where we can do just that. And if there are things that are troubling our heart, Lord, that we would be willing to share, that we would be willing to receive those prayers and to pray for our brothers and pray for our sisters. And that together, collectively as a body of Christ, we would go forth in victory, understanding you are master, that you're in charge, that your son Jesus is the way to the Father. May we live that out, Lord, in our lives. And may we do that, Lord, only in the power and strength of the Holy Spirit whom you've given to us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that his way in the path to the Father was the cross. For that cross made all the difference for us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.